and welcome to episode 160 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with Jason Rabinowitz. How are you, Ian? How much snow did you get in this I'm late, doing well, April blast? <laughs> we got a slush covering, but it, it didn't last through through mid-morning. So that was that was acceptable. And we had some pretty nice last week was spring break for the kids. So we had some some pretty nice days towards the beginning of the week where basically got to just send them outside and say, don't bother me until you're hungry. So that was nice. But uh, all in all, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction. It's supposed to be 80 degrees sunny on Saturday. So that'll be nice. 20, I think 24.5, 25 degrees Celsius for those using a more widely adopted unit of measurement. I should say. Just calling it what it is, widely adopted. It's much more widely adopted. Near universal. Wow. So yeah, how, how are you, sir? Fine. It's not snowing here, so I'm, I'm better than you. <laughs> All right. No, it's, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. It's just been, it's been very dreary the past couple of days. But we will, we will look forward to the sun coming back soon. In the meantime, let us dive into this week's news. The most kind of wrench in the works, throwing things up in the air, news that we have for for the week is a federal judge in Florida striking down the federal mask mandate for public transportation, which had applied to places like airlines, airports, train stations, trains themselves, et cetera, et cetera. The the federal judge is saying that that mandate is is not enforceable. And then the TSA, which had been responsible for the implementation of the CDC's recommended mask usage, they said they were no longer going to enforce it. Airlines rushed to say, okay, everybody can take off their masks. The Department of Justice, which would have the responsibility for appealing that ruling, has said, we're waiting to hear from the CDC. The CDC has said, you'll hear from us in a couple of days. We're still trying to figure all of this out. And who knows whether or not they'll appeal. All of this is to say that this is happening. Let's see, it happened 14 days. So one day before, so 14 days before the existing mask mandate was due to expire on the 3rd of May. So it's unclear to me, even if the Department of Justice does appeal this ruling, what would happen to such a, a mandate anyway. So we're not going to really dive into this because we don't know what's going on yet. It remains to be seen exactly what happens, whether this just goes away completely for good, whether or not there's some sort of procedural appeal, whether or not there's some kind of we reserve the right to appeal, et cetera, et cetera. But it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple weeks as we move up to that that May 3rd date to see what the CDC and the DOJ decide to do. Yeah, definitely a messy weeks for airline uh, a messy week for airlines and and flight crews and every passengers involved since the regulations are changing quickly and are extremely inconsistent depending on where you are or who you talk to. So hopefully this will subside over time. And I'm not going to say either way whether I want it to be a thing or not, but I, at this point, I, I hope it's not reimposed simply because it's just going to be a giant headache to go back from where we are today. Yeah. And we can do a whole podcast episode about mandates and decisions 
public policy decisions throughout COVID that perhaps whether or not you agree with the idea behind them have been imposed so haphazardly, ham-handedly, that sometimes wanting to do the right thing as far as taking a public health decision has been implemented and caused more harm in the long run in the way it was implemented. We could possibly do a whole episode about that, but I don't think we're quite there yet in being away from some of these policies to have a a wide enough view to to do that. But but yeah, there's certainly something to be said for that. So pack your patience and be nice to everyone that you meet, whether or not they are wearing or are not wearing a mask, and just be good people to each other is, is all I implore yeah, as we try and figure good all advice. this out. I'm a little disappointed that some of the US airlines have been so quick to say that they will start unbanning passengers that they banned during COVID because they refused to wear a mask. In my opinion, those people should still be banned for quite a period of time if they're not able or willing to follow crew instructions and follow the rules like everyone else, they shouldn't be allowed to fly. And I think a few of them have said they will still continue to ban some of the passengers with more egregious behavior. But to me, in my eyes, the, the people who were already banned have lost the privilege to fly with that airline and should be continually banned. But at the end of the day, the accountants win whatever revenue they'd get from the thousand or so passengers, they want it back. Two things there. One, on the flip side of that, the FAA has said their zero tolerance policy will continue indefinitely. So if you're not following the directions, if the crew decides that you are basically breaking the law and you this results in some sort of enforcement action on the FAA's part. So so I think that's a good part of it. The second thing there is as far as the the accountants winning and things like that. On the flip side of that, how many people that are banned from an airline are going to rush back and fly that airline again? Well, like we say all the time, the second they see another very low fare on whatever the airline they were previously banned from, they'll, they'll go right back. I so wish we could figure out like who is banned, not like publicly list their names or anything like that. Just find out what airline they were banned from and then find out what airlines they fly in the future. I mean, purely just from like a data perspective. I I, fi- I would find that very interesting. Well, there was the case of, what was it, the state senator in Alaska who was banned from Alaska Air when Alaska was the only option to get from, I think, Juneau to Anchorage, creating a, a huge problem, well, self-imposed problem. I wonder if that particular person is unbanned from Alaska now. You know what? That's a really good question. So Alaska Airlines, if you're listening, that's a tough gig. Moving on. Today, Chinese investigators held a press conference, released a statement saying that they had completed their preliminary report and filed it with ICAO. The preliminary report by international rules needs to be submitted within 30 days after an incident, accident, crash, etc., if there's an investigation into it. That report doesn't necessarily need to be made public. Most accident investigators around the world do make that preliminary report public. The Chinese investigators have not yet made it public. It's unclear whether they will. They don't have to, but they may, given the, I guess, increasing transparency, maybe not fully transparent aspects of the investigation, but increasingly transparent aspects of the investigation in China, especially into this flight. 
the things that they did report beyond the fact that they had pl- completed their preliminary report and and perhaps most importantly is that the the two black boxes that were recovered from the crash site the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder both of which were sent to the NTSB's lab in Washington DC for reconstruction and recovery those boxes were severely damaged and the CAAC said that the statement that they put out today leads us to believe that they have not recovered much, if anything, from those recorders just yet. They said that data restoration and analysis work is still in progress. So it's unclear if they've managed to recover data from one or the other and, and begin analysis of that, or if they're still working on restoring the data on, on both of those. That remains to be seen. Yeah, what we do know is I believe I read that the NTSB GO team that did make it out to China has already returned to the US, I think last week. So whatever investigation they were conducting on the ground has already, as far as the US investigators are, is concerned, it has concluded. Yeah. And the other thing that, and this isn't from the investigators, this is from China Eastern itself, they put their 737 800s back into service. Shortly after the crash, they had grounded their 737-800 fleet. That fleet is now back in service, having gone back into service on the 18th of April, so just a few days ago. So that there's been no suggestion, evidence, statements one way or another as to what investigators are looking at specifically. But with the airline putting their their fleet back into service, it seems still in confidence that there was not a fleet-wide issue that they're concerned with. Yep. So we will continue to wait to see what the investigation reveals, but so far, really not much to speak of. Not much to speak of. And, and now comes the long waiting period where now the investigation takes as long as it takes. And certainly, hopefully, the cockpit voice recorder and the flight data recorder are both able to be fully restored, recovered, and analyzed. And, and hopefully, those, those seem to be the, the linchpin for the investigation, whether or not data can be recovered and, and analyzed from those. So hopefully, that happens relatively soon. And, and the wealth of data that is stored on those boxes is, is available to investigators. Another investigation, this one, thankfully, no one was injured. The flight landed safely. But an incident that could have gone very, very bad, very, very fast. A TAP A320 was en route from Lisbon to, to Copenhagen on the 8th of April. The aircraft made an approach to runway 30 at Copenhagen. And in the occurrence of a go around, the crew decided that they were going to go around. They didn't like the approach. I, I think it was because of the weather. But when they applied takeoff go around thrust, so they moved the, the thrust forward. The aircraft veered to the left and did not climb or accelerate as one would expect. Jason, I know you've experienced a go-around or two. I've experienced a few. You immediately know what's happening. Well, we, because this is kind of the stuff that we live on, but you know something's happening immediately. You go back up. Yeah, exactly. This did not happen. 
And it didn't happen for one very, very scary reason. To quote from the Dutch Accident Investigation Board's release on the their beginning the investigation process, the flight crew noticed an indication for engine number one thrust reverser doors to be unlocked. Engine number one was at idle thrust. That's really bad. Yeah, and we've seen incidents, accidents in the past where uh, the crew did get that notification, and unfortunately, such a thing did occur, and nothing good comes of that. What was it? The Lauda Air 767, yeah. was it? Yeah. Yeah, the thrust reverser deploying in flight unexpectedly it is never a good situation. Yeah, so the Danish Action Investigation Board released photos of the engine. We'll put a link to the release in the show notes. So the the left engine, so it's the inboard thrust reverser doors, both of them, and the outboard lower thrust reverser door were all stuck open and remained so after landing, after they completed a successful landing after the go-round. Thankfully, because the thrust in the engine was at idle, that allowed them to successfully complete the go around and and land safely but investigators absolutely looking into what happened here to make sure that there there isn't a, a wider issue affecting possibly the engines or or, or anything like that but a, a very scary situation and very glad that it ended the way it did yeah do we know if that was a CO or a neo has tap transitioned all to the neo at this point this was an a320 200 a CO. CO. Okay. So yep. older aircraft. And it, I guess it had, if it was a TAP yep. CO, it's an older aircraft. But I, I'm assuming yeah, it had the, the kind of th- thrust reverser where like the four little doors yep, open. It's the, the clamshell doors. Yeah, yep. clamshell doors. Rather than the entire, I guess you would say the entire cow, not the cowling, but how, how would you describe that? The other type of thrust reverser where the, like the door opens. The door. It, it doors. I mean, oh, okay. Like yeah, we'll, we'll go uh, find out what the actual technical terms are for that. But there are two <laughs> distinct, different types of thrust reverser mechanisms. Yes, I always just call it the thrust reverser. I mean, yeah, what else do you call it? I don't call it anything else. But if there, there are two distinct types with two different mechanisms yeah. of opening. They must be. All right, there well, must be a way to refer to them differently. We will figure it out, and that will be listed in the show notes through the miracle of homework for Ian. Yes. For reference, this was CSTNV. It was delivered in November of 2009. So 12 years old and an A320CO. Jason, news broke before we started recording. It's not huge news. It's not huge news, but at least it happened before we started recording. When can I expect to take delivery of my new 787s? Second half of 2022. Maybe. 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 Depends. But this article comes from uh, Reuters, an exclusive scoop from them that we are repeating to you now that you'll hear two days after recording. But (laughs) Boeing tells airline 787 deliveries to restart second half of 2022, say sources familiar with the matter, of course. As you well know, probably if you listen to this podcast, Boeing has not been able to deliver a 787 in a long time. Airlines very much want their very expensive airplanes that they have paid for or want to pay for when they get delivery, but that's apparently not going to happen. That The recertification for these aircraft that need the, the rework due to manufacturing issues won't come until the second half of 2022, which could mean anything from two months from now till check again at Christmas. 
Yeah, there there are over 180 days in the second half of 2022. It could mean anything. They know that, right? Yeah, it, it could mean <laughs> anything. But what we do know is that airlines that were previously planning on taking 787s in preparation for what's going to be an absolutely nightmarish summer coming up, operationally wise, it, it's just not going to happen. That's rough. That is rough. I mean, we, we were talking about it was kind of the the big article about American summer plans in February. And they were like, well, we think we're going to, because they're, they're waiting on something like what was it, 40 some odd 787s. Like, well, we're going to take a bunch of them. And then it was, we're going to take a lot of them. And then it was going to take, we're going to take some of them. And that's, we're going to take a few maybe. Yeah. I mean, they've, just, they've had to reshuffle some of their uh, transatlantic flying since they just don't have the, the aircraft that they were expecting to have. But American is not alone in having to rework their, let's say, overly optimistic summer schedule coming up. I think JetBlue <laughs> no. has canceled across the board 10% of its summer Spirit, flights. JetBlue. I, I looked today at the weird, unique LaGuardia LAX nonstop, Saturday only. That, that's gone from the schedule until maybe August and it starts up again. But I had a, a friend, Eric, who's supposed to fly Islip to Orlando on Southwest nonstop, and that suddenly became a, a through connection in Baltimore. So I hope he enjoys a, a nice 35-minute connection to Baltimore. But this is across the board. Airlines have screwed up atrociously, and they are all cutting back flights quite dramatically. Hopefully, some are doing ahead of time. Others are having meltdown after meltdown and reliability issues have just been bad. I was looking at a JetBlue aircraft today that was delayed on a single flight like three days ago, and it's, it still hasn't caught up to be on time days later just because of how heavy they've scheduled these aircraft. But they they have not been – any of these airlines have not been able to meet anywhere near the hiring goals that they set out for themselves leading into the summer season. And as we said earlier, pack your patience because this summer is going to suck. Yeah. For some people, that is getting started early, unfortunately. Sunwing, the Canadian vacation carrier, has suffered from technical issues over the past couple days, so much so that they've now brought in additional heft from pretty much every other Canadian airline but Air Canada. So uh, WestJet, Air Transat, Nolanor, among others, are now helping Sunwing move people. This all started because they're not reservation system, but the system they use to dispatch the flights and check people in and issue boarding passes and things like that. That went down. And so they have been manually processing all of these flights and doing crew reassignments and figuring out airports and, and curfews and duty hours and all of these things by hand. And I would not want to do one flight by hand, let alone an entire airline. over a dozen flights for two going on three days now. Yeah. No, but thank you. As a passenger, there might be you know a light at the end of the tunnel and that you thought you'd be booking a, a regular old boring Sunwing 738 and you walk on your flight and it's a Norlin or 737-200. That could be cool. Ooh. Yeah, or a I mean, yeah, or something I, sporty like that. Yeah, I mean, if, if and and there's also something to be said, I guess, for being stuck in in places like Punta Cana or or, or you know somewhere in Mexico on the beach. So bright siding it there, 
not really a bright side if you have to worry about how you're going to get home and, and pay for those extra days and things like that. But hopefully this is is resolved soon. And, and you know, it's Sunwing's vendor, so hopefully they're Sunwing has said other airlines are affected, but it doesn't seem to be affecting other airlines nearly as much as it's affecting Sunwing. Yeah. In good news, as far as airlines go, an airline is back. Who? Flyby. Flyby. No. Wow. They're back. I with their to, old planes. Yeah, I happened to be so, in London, right outside of Heathrow, watching what I thought at the time was the last Flybe flight into Heathrow, and it may no longer be the last flight. One day, they're not flying back to Heathrow anytime soon, but they could again one day. They could, in fact, one day. So they've got they've got a new management team, they've got fresh cash, they've got old planes or the same planes, but they have new paint on them. And they've got a new, much pared down route network starting out of uh, Birmingham and, and, and Belfast, and they're going to expand from there. So it'll be interesting to see how things progress. I always thought the kind of the ending of Flybe was rather unfortunate. So it, I'm kind of you know excited to see that they've been been resurrected. Yeah, good luck to them. Also, I like Q400s. They're fun. They're rare these days. They are red and becoming increasingly more rare, but there are still some around and Flybe's going to be fine a bunch of them. Speaking of propellers, good sir, Aviation's Alice has more orders and those orders are going to Cape Air and Cape Air says they're going to take up to 75 of them. We think it's I know a, you have. Remember, they? I think we talked about offline that yep. this order was announced, but they just didn't put a number on it. Now there's a number. The understanding I have is that there was an order, now the order has a number, but the number is more than the order without a number. At least okay. that was my understanding of it. Okay. I don't really I don't really understand much of it all. But I only say that to say that Aviation's Alice test aircraft out in Washington has been much more active and hopefully the first flight is coming soon. It's a good looking plane and and I do want to see it fly soon. It is. I'm hoping to see it here one day at JFK since Cape Air does have a few flights here. We don't we don't even get the new P12 here. We still just get the Cessnas. So maybe maybe we go I got right something before you. The, do you get the the nice P12s? Yeah. No. Must be nice. No, we we don't get that here. I don't know why. You would think they would want to operate that here, but there I'm sure there is a very legitimate reason why they do not. <laughs> Let us turn our attention to some Russia news for this week. We've got something that we talked about, I suppose, near the beginning, soon after Russia in, invaded Ukraine, when airlines were shutting down and, and routes were being closed off and flight bans were going into effect, whether or not S7, which is a member of One World, would remain a member of One World. And then there was, I think it was... Royal Air Maroc had an event at which the CEO of One World was asked about that and kind of demurred and said, well, you know, it's it's not up to us and, and things like that. Now, the press release said mutually agreed, but we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, that S7 has suspended its participation in One World. And so passengers who have status or fly on S7 don't receive the reciprocal benefits of, of One World partners. And also the the airline is no longer participating in kind of governance issues as far as One World is concerned. So that went into effect, I think, yesterday, the 19th of April. So that'll be interesting to see what that 
evolves into. Yeah, and by the same token, Aeroflot is still apparently a, a full member of the Sky Team Alliance, so we'll see if that changes. But so far, uh, S7 is the only change. And then the other thing, we've briefly discussed this as far as longer routes and, and things like that go, but there's been, over the past 10 or so days, some really interesting flights by the Russian government around Europe to collect diplomats that have been expelled from various European capitals. The Spanish government, the Greek government, the Danish government, the French government, and I believe the EU, or I'm not sure if it was the EU or the the Belgian government, the Belgian national government, but they've been expelling Russian diplomats, either saying that these diplomats aren't diplomats, they're, they're actually spies, or by saying because of the actions by Russian soldiers in Ukraine, we're expelling your diplomats as a sign of protest, or a combination thereof. So the Russians picked up their Spanish diplomats and their, their Greek diplomats on the same flight. Instead of kind of a, a relatively short few thousand kilometer flight from Moscow to Madrid, they flew up and over, as all flights have done since the airspace bans went into effect, banning Russian flights from, from EU airspace, and made a 3,400 kilometer flight from Moscow to Madrid take 7,000 kilometers. Then to get to Athens, instead of taking 23, 2400 kilometers, 3700 kilometers, and then the, the journey home because a, a straight shot from Athens to Moscow would take them directly over Ukraine, that one had a, a much longer, went from 2200 kilometers to 4300 and change. I mean, at some point, we did a blog post about this just to, to run the numbers, and the comments were either good, you know, make them go around, make them go the long way, or make them take the bus, which doesn't sound feasible at the moment. Or that's not great because these flights are are so much longer. And that's not a good thing for a variety of reasons, most of which deal with environmental reasoning. So I, I thought some of the responses were were interesting. And I'm kind of a mix between good and Maybe not good. I don't know. It's a one-time thing. They're flying home. It is what it is. I don't think it's a good or bad thing. It just is what it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, let's wrap up with a couple bits of news. One that I don't know if many of our listeners will care about specifically, other than we've talked about it in the past as as an example of some of the things that are wrong with airport development and large-scale contracting, especially with public transit projects in the US. I refer to, of course, the automated transit system at Chicago O'Hare's airport because it took 1,707 days. This is actually from the first partial closure. This has nothing to do with the design, the pre-build work, the choices, the funding, the any of the work that did not involve actually shutting down the railway. But it took 1,707 days from the time they first partially shut down the tracks to the time that it was 
fully in service 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. Chicago is gunning New York for title of most incompetent bureaucracy in charge of capital transit improvement projects because that's impressive. I was thoroughly impressed. It's not like they were building a new rail line or digging underground or tunneling or doing anything complicated. They were just replacing the trains on the existing system, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. They, and I think well, extending it they, to the they local car, it. multimodal facility. But Exactly. And they can't even blame COVID because this, this is another one of those things that was supposed to be done before COVID was even a thing. So they can't blame uh-huh. the chip shortage. They can't blame COVID. They can't blame labor. This was just purely stuff did not work when they installed and it was just so annoying not that it was just taking so long but that the trains for years now have been rolling in place not with passengers on board because it's just been a whole host of things but thankfully finally it's finally open and the 24-hour buses that somebody was getting paid a lot of money for can stop rolling <laughs> it was just so i think that was the kicker there is that how many people made how many millions of dollars on this. That was the end of it was just classic Chicago's that the train's going to be running 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. But we'll also have buses running alongside the train. Why? Why why are you running buses concurrently with the train if the train is running? That doesn't make any sense. But I don't think anyone in Chicago is going to look too closely into that. Oh, au contraire, sir. Oh, yeah? There are many people looking closely into this. Mostly because they want to find out what happened. It just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. So there you go. And we will close today with something that Jason is really, really excited about. I am. So he's going to have – you sounded really, really excited. I mean, it's – Can we please talk about this? And I said, sure. I begged you and you said, no, we can't talk about Breeze launching flights from County. And I said, I'm going to do it anyway. We don't talk much <laughs> about the new startup airlines in the US, but they are still a thing. Breeze is still a thing. Avello is still a thing, I'm told. But Breeze is making a couple interesting moves on the East Coast, where Avello is really primarily on the West Coast. Breeze using its brand new A220s and the special performance that they bring um, is going to launch flights from Westchester County. That's HPN. But they're not just launching flights from Westchester. They're doing it transcon to San Francisco, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles. So Westchester County is not an airport that gets service beyond Chicago, maybe. And that's with like CRJ 200s, I think. I, I don't think there are flights beyond that. But that is a significant power move to have transcontinental flights out of Westchester, in addition to a host of other cities, Charleston, Savannah, Norfolk, Jacksonville, and, and New Orleans with a, a stop in Charleston, was it maybe? I'm not quite sure. But this is going to appeal to a lot of people in the suburbs north of New York City and into Connecticut to have a transcon option out of a non-JFK or Newark airport. Is I think this is a very exciting for the people who are able to get to Westchester County for a 7.30 a.m. flight, which I am not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the kicker of it. I, I think you, I don't want to say priced out, but, but timed out, you know, what time, you know, like how to get there and, and like, well, that, that didn't work. But if you're coming from the north of the city, I, I guess that it makes sense. Yeah, it's not practical for anyone taking public transit to get to that particular airport. I think for a 7.30 flight, I'd have to leave practically speaking the night before and like sleep on the floor outside of the airport. I don't really know. 
But there are millions of people in the catchment area for Westchester County that suddenly they have a, a, a transcon option that has, as far as I know, never existed before. And I mean, that's, it, it's going to be, an, a, you know, with the A220s, that's going to be a, a pretty nice flight too, a nice way to travel. Yeah. The intro pricing, I'm, I'm sure this will go up, but the intro pricing for their first class style product, and keep in mind, it's not like a lie flat seat or anything, but it, it's a very reasonable price. I think the intro pricing, the difference between like the extra legroom seat and the first class product is like $10. So definitely spend that extra 10 if you're booking that. Yeah. At least from the start. Well, we'll have to see. Do you know when the Do you know when the first flight is? Those flights, I think, start up in September. But the more regional flights, to like Charleston, Norfolk, Jacksonville, that starts June twenty eighth. Well, then, then we've got time to figure out if we can get on the one of the one of the first ones. And, I would like to, and, but I would like to not wake up at four a.m. to get to one of those flights. I'm happy to spring for like a sandwich and a, and a cup of coffee if you're willing to sleep on the floor of the airport. Nope. I think that would make for a great episode of the podcast. I will meet you there via a Delta <laughs> flight from JFK. <laughs> oh, what could possibly go wrong? So little. So little. And on that note, let's call this an episode. Episode 160 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik. Here, as always, with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.